Well, the video didn't go, so welcome to Tone Talk, episode 59. How you guys doing? Uh, it's Mark and Dave, and we have a special guest tonight, which is Mike Saldano, part two. Mike, how are you? How are you? How's Good, going? thank you, and it's an honor to be back on the show again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Thank you for coming back on. Dave, what's going on with you? How are you? Uh, not too much. Just uh, ended a work day. And hearing David Lee Ross band rehearse across the street through the wall. Really? Oh, awesome. Cool. How are they yeah. sounding? Well, it's good. They have a new guitar player. So. Okay. Three, did they, they had three guitar players the last time I saw that video. Yeah, well, no, well, they had two, and then they had an accessory guy, and... Now there's another really well-known, very good-playing Van Halen guy. So, oh, good. Well, I don't well, want to say anything because I don't know if anyone knows yet. So, oh, excellent. Sounds like fun. Well, I'm glad he uh, glad he wised up and got somebody good. Because, <laughs> well, but anyway, I don't. Oh, well, this is it. about as best as it could be. So, oh, I wonder who that is. That's no yeah, one. Now you got us all curious, Dave. It's, it's no one really famous, but uh, <laughs> is it someone we? Kind of know? You probably know of. Okay. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I, know he's a, I, I know he's a Sir artist, or at least partially. Ooh. Mm. Now you really have me curious. Yeah, so, yeah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike, how, how have you been, man? It's been a while since, uh, well, I saw you at NAMM, but it's been a while since we had you on the show, so... Yeah, it's been what, like a year or so? At least a year, year and a half. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lots well, happened. I've been, yeah, I've been kind of going crazy the about the past year. I'm uh, my I guess the big news is I'm moving out of my um, my lovely spot I had here in Seattle because Seattle's become such a ridiculously overcrowded and expensive city to live in, and I'm moving to a much quieter and more laid back uh, town south of Seattle called Tacoma. And I'm really looking forward to it. It's really, it's it's kind of a cool sort of sort of old school city that sort of reminds me of the Seattle I grew up in. So, uh, so on one hand, it's real exciting to be moving. On the other hand, it's kind of you know bittersweet to be leaving my old my old shop and the place where you know I've done my business for so many years. And the biggest problem is the actual act of moving has just got to be one of the most you know, soul-crushing, mind-numbing experiences a human has to do. But that it's time for a new chapter in my life, and so I'm off and running. But I've been good. So other than that, you know, I'm excited about the, the new uh, the new Soldano stuff that we've got coming together at Boutique, and uh, things are looking things are looking good for the future. Yeah, I'm excited about that as well as I know a lot of people are. Could we um could we go back to because I think the last after we, you were on the show, I think there was a period of time um, where there was some speculation that you were going to retire, you know, and, and that uh, was, was people weren't sure what was going to happen with the brand. And then and then the news popped up. So just if you could maybe fill us in on how all that worked out and, you know, and how what's coming up and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I guess I guess. Yeah, I guess back at the last show, I, was, I still was still was churning out amps at this point. Yeah, so I am now, uh, quote, unquote, semi-retired. And um, Boutique Amps is now uh, manufacturing and distributing and doing all the great stuff with the Soldano, the Soldano products. 
And um, I'm still very much involved. I, I'm, I'm involved at the level of doing the, the part of the job that's the fun part, which is uh, design, consulting, you know, that kind of thing. And I don't have to worry about the day-to-day -day manufacturing stuff, which, um, you know, I did it well, but it was never the, the most fun part of my job. You know, it's like uh, being an accountant and a shipping manager and, uh, uh, and all those other things that go with running a, a small business were very time consuming and not exactly the, the most creative part of the process. So now I'm kind of getting to do just the part that I love most, which is, of course, the creative side, the design and, and uh, evaluation and all that kind of stuff. So, so yes, the, the, the company that now has the Soldano brand is Boutique Amps Distribution there in Southern California. And, um, the, and, and it kind of just sort of, it was kind of a deal that sort of came to be. It was just kind of like I was, I was kind of getting to that place where I was really just getting tired of running a business. And, uh, and I was, you know, and I'm getting older, let's, let's face it, I'm not, no spring chicken anymore. And so I was really thinking that it was time to retire anyway. And so at first I was just really going to just shut the doors down and walk away and be done with it. But, you know, I spent a huge part of my life, um, building this brand and, and, and building great products. And, and I just felt like it just didn't feel right to me just to let it all just go away. But I, but I was at that point where I just didn't want to do it anymore, uh, at least at the level of being, like I say, the the accountant, the, the you know payroll guy, the the um, parts inventory specialist, and all those things. I wore all those hats, and it was just getting to be really mind numbing. Plus, the other thing was, I was starting to realize, as I mentioned earlier about this move, that. I couldn't afford to do this in Seattle anymore. Just the cost of, uh, of maintaining and having a manufacturing space in a city that was so hell bent on pushing manufacturing out and replacing it with high tech, um, it just you know it wasn't penciling out for me financially to keep going. I mean, I was literally just kind of going backwards. So at that and, and so that's what kind of got me thinking about. Yes, I just want to move on. And so I guess some, some, some point along the way, I was having a conversation with my friend Avi down at Boutique, and, uh, and we started talking about it. He goes, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, you know, I'm just going to probably retire. And he goes, well, would you be interested in having us, you know, take over the brand? And I'm like, well, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. You already know how to build a house. You do a good job of it. So that's kind of how it materialized. We, we started having conversations. We talked about it. I had... You know, as you would think, you know, being being the guy who was at the helm for, you know, 30 plus years, I was pretty hard set on a lot of ways I did things. So there was, you know, I had my concerns about, you know, how that would all go down. But um, I got to tell you, I'm very, very happy that I uh, that I teamed up with Boutique. It's just been the best thing that could happen. And the brand is going to continue on. We've got a a slew of new ideas and new uh, products coming out. We're starting with, you know, so with the good old tried and true. The first thing out will be the, the new version of the SLO 100, which I can talk about more as we go along in the evening here. Mm -hmm. uh, but there will also be an SLO 30, uh, a new version of the supercharger pedal, and 
other things down the, down the line. So it's, it's pretty exciting times. And, and I'd never been to boutique until last year at NAM time. And when I saw the shop, I was just, I was just blown away. I mean, as far as having like a manufacturing facility that can just about build anything, they've got it nailed. I mean, I looked at that and I was having shop envy, you know, I was like, I'm looking at the tools they have in their cabin shop compared to what we had to work with. And I was just like, God, how did I even do it all these years? You know, it's like, it's a really, it's a well-oiled machine and it's, it's state-of-the-art and it's state-of-the-art, but it's still artistic, which is awesome. That's, that's the thing I like about it. It's, um, it combines new, you know, modern manufacturing technology method with old school technology. And well, you know, Dave, you're there every day. You, you could, you know, you could elaborate even more on it. But it's it's a wonderful place, and uh, it's just like the biggest toy store. So uh, I think it's a perfect home for uh, Soldano, and I think they're they're still hand building everything just the way we did. So um, I'm I'm feeling really good about the new stuff that's going to be coming out of there. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it that that whole facility is awesome. I mean, Dave, you Isn't want to it? talk? Yeah, amazing. yeah, it really is. I mean, I I haven't been there. I've seen the videos that Henning Pauly did of uh, all the boutique. I saw some of your stuff, you know, your video, Mike. Um, so I don't know, Dave. You want to talk about it a little bit, like just? Well, I think some of those videos, I mean, uh, gave you a pretty good overview. I mean, if you want to see what's going on there, I mean, look at I, I think I did one with Sweetwater after nam um where they walked through and visited and we kind of walked through the whole entire thing go check it out um uh the funny thing is that was right after nam <laughs> literally <laughs> literally like the day after nam and it's oh, never fried i was just i was sick <laughs> <laughs> i'm like walking through i'm like really Ugh. Yeah, it's brutal, isn't it? it just, well, it was, it was supposed to be the, like a day or two later, but then they changed it on me to the day after, and I'm like, man, I'm sick, and I don't feel well, and I don't want to do this. Oh. <laughs> I did it. You still did it, yeah. Yeah, Nam, Nam's rough. Oh, oh, there's there's no there's no hangover sickness or uh, or uh, impairment that can stop the videos. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's right. It's just a question it's of if you don't understand me. Brutal. So last year, Mike, was your first year back at NAM, standing there for pretty much like every day the whole time, right? Yeah, you know, I hadn't I hadn't been to NAM since about I think the last time I went was either two thousand or two thousand one. So I'd been away for a long time. I, I kind of forgot just how much work that really is. You know, it was really, it, for me, for the first time in a gazillion years, it was really fun for me because for once, I wasn't the one that was having to set up the booth, do this, do that, everything else, right? So I got to really just enjoy the experience and it was really fun to connect with a bunch of my old buddies and old, uh, you know, old acquaintances that I hadn't seen in, God, you know, literally decades. And so I really enjoyed it. Plus, you know, I was real excited about the whole, um, the whole, you know, new future of Soldano. So I actually is, is, as um, kind of, uh, as much of a marathon as NAM is for last year, I really sort of, I, I really enjoyed it. I, uh, for, like, like I say, the first time in, uh, 
a real long time of doing it. And uh, I enjoyed, you know, like in the evenings, I'd go out and have dinner with Dave and those guys. And we just had, we just oh, yeah. really, we had a lot of fun. I mean, you I know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work, but it was, you know, considering how much work it was for me, it was really fun. It was, it was great being able to spend time and hang with these guys. Just, I haven't seen anybody in a long time, you know, up here in Seattle, you know, it's like, we're sort of, you know, nobody even knows where Seattle is half the time. <laughs> Kind of, you know, you're sort of out here in the boonies where you feel like you're out here in the boonies a lot. And so it was really nice to reconnect with a lot of the people in the industry and, you know, and kind of just see what was new and see what people were up to. And so I'm looking forward to coming back again this year, especially because we're, I'm actually, we're actually going to have some new stuff to show off and I'm going to be real excited about that. So, yeah. Yeah. That's killer. That's, that's awesome. So I guess we might as well just ask. So, so, um, how, what's been the development process been like and um you know how how you guys work in it and you know obviously like you said the slo 100s first and the 30 but just curious like what the changes are what's going to be different and you know those things. yeah yeah there yeah and there are some changes and, and they're all changes that i've been meaning to do for ever and just never again so busy running business you don't always have the time to do the part that's the most important which is you know get in get into the uh shop and 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 come up with new ideas and designs and stuff so for about the well for quite a long time i was really i guess the thing i'm most excited about is i, I guess the change i wanted to see the most was putting dc heaters in the slo 100 it's over the years over the last i don't know you know maybe 20 years dave would you say 20 years or so yeah. Preamp feeds have just gotten noisier, and no I mean every every batch of tubes seems to have more and more AC hum on the heaters. Back in the old days, like back when I started my business in the um, late '80s, you could literally buy any 12AX7, throw it in, throw it in even the highest gain amp, such as an SLO, and you didn't have to worry about stuff like heater noise. I mean, on the rare occasions you get a hummer and you throw that like in the phase inverse socket and put a quieter one in the front end and you're good to go. But over the last, let's say, 15, 20 years, they just, it's not to say the tubes are bad. I mean, I'm just glad people are even still making 12 accents. So, I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, come down hard on the tube manufacturers. It's just that for some reason, though, they don't seem to be able to get them as quiet as the, old, as the good old-fashioned tubes were. And so... It got to the point towards the end of production of the, the last few years of, of my building amps. When we'd finish an amp, it'd go into our test room. We, you know, I'd test it on the bench, set the bias, scope, do all that stuff. But then I'd throw it in our test room where I, we'd plug them into the speaker cabinets, crank them up, let them sit there and burn for a few days. And before I'd start them on their burn cycle, though, I'd have to, uh, I'd have to select a set of preamp tubes that would be quiet enough to be, you know, to, to meet my standards. And I would sit in that room literally for anywhere from a half an hour to an hour with each amp and a huge box of 12AX7s, handpicking the first two posi game positions, like the first stage, the second stage, and, you know, cranking the amp up with, you know, no, no guitar player, just listening for background hiss and hum. And, you know, I'd always managed to find, like, you know, about one out of every 10 tubes would be quiet enough to put in that first position. And so I would always manage to ship an amp with a good, quiet set of tubes. But it was 
it was just brain-numbingly uh, tedious to do this. And so all the new designs I was coming up with since the early 2000s, I was putting DC heaters in. But of course, the SLO had never been changed. It was kind of like, well, ain't broke, don't fix it. It's the SLO. I don't dare change a thing on it. So for, you know, for the last 15 years of SLOs, I was tearing my hair out trying to find quiet tubes for them. And so with this break in the production, it was a perfect opportunity to, to say, okay, now we can do some of the things I've been meaning to do for a really long time. So the DC heaters are the top of the list for me as far as the cool stuff to do. Then the other thing, um, there's now going to be a switch on the front panel to switch between channels because uh, all the original SLOs, you had to have the foot switch to change channels. Uh, if you didn't have your foot switch, it defaulted to the overdrive channel. Mm -hmm. You could get to the clean channel by plugging in a shorted quarter inch plug in the back and, and getting to switch to the clean channel. But, um, you know, I never thought about that stuff when I designed the apparition because I was expected, you know, I figured, hey, well, you're always going to use the foot switch. But, you know, it turns out, and again, this is from listening to customers over the years. It turns out that some guys will be sitting in their studio and they'll just want the amp to be in one mode or the other and they don't necessarily want to bother with the foot switch or they you know accidentally forget a foot switch at home and they need to get through a gig and so at least having a switch on the front of the amp where they could uh, change channels would be good so that was you know it didn't take much to do that but it was a, something that probably should have been done years ago and now it's being done so uh, the new slo has a switch on the front for that um, the effects loop has been improved. You know, there's been a lot of talk about my effects loops and, you know, I still will defend why I did the way I did back in the eighties, but, um, people's need and use and the types of effects have changed quite a bit over the years. And a lot of people want to use pedals in the loop. Whereas when I designed that loop originally, I, I just figured, well, it's for you know, it's for rad gear, it's for pro audio kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I designed it with a pretty hot signal so that I could, again, keep the noise floor down. But, you know, with all the interest these days in boutique pedals and with the fact that there are so many amazing pedals nowadays, there was a reason to upgrade the effects loop to be more pedal friendly. So um, it now has a very pedal friendly effects loop and it's got a level control in the loop, which, it ne which we never had before. Um, and there's also an effects loop bypass switch, which used to be a mod you'd have to pay me the big bucks to put in your amp when we built it. Hmm. And now it's been kind of, we decided, hey, this should just be something standard. So there's a switch on the back where you can bypass the effects loop just to have a straight grind amp if that's what you want. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be cool. It's got all the original SLO tone. It's got the gain, same gain, same crunch separation same control layout it's it's uh it comes standard with the depth control now which uh we we started doing here in the last five years of production as well but earlier slos that was always an optional mod and so now it's a standard feature as well so yeah it's just it's kind of like the slo gets a facelift it's kind of you know gets its 30-year upgrade and uh and i'm real excited i've, I've heard i've heard it and uh, it sounds amazing, and we're real excited. That sounds awesome. Now, there's also questions um, about the transformers. Um, uh, of course. Can you yeah. can, can we discuss the transformers? Yes. We certainly can because that was a big that was a big 
a big, uh, well, okay, the DM, the original DM transformers were a big part of the sound of an SLO. Those were incredibly expensive, but beautifully built transformers that were designed by the late John Wozniak at DM Manufacturing Forum back in the late 80s. And they were, they, they were a stroke of, of true craftsmanship and, and, uh, and amazing design. And for years and years and years, DM was my supplier. And something that started happening, which nobody really knew about because I, was, you know, I didn't really need to broadcast the world my woes at the, uh, you know, in the world of manufacturing, but about the last several years of, of my reign over Soldado Custom Amps, um, Diem had gotten sold. It was a family family owned and run business for for decades and generations. But finally, um, they they sold the company to a very large uh, corporate conglomerate called Excelia. Excelia is a huge a huge worldwide. Uh, corporation that manufactures all things. I mean, they make all kinds of things. They make capacitors, transformers. They have divisions of all sorts. And so, um, I don't know if many people know this, but Vion's main business was aerospace. They built transformers and magnetics for uh, Boeing aircraft and for, you know, NASA and all that kind of crazy stuff. So they were, that was their main deal. Their, that was their bread and butter. My audio transformers were pretty much an anomaly for them. It was like, we make all this other stuff, and then we also make these barbaric old audio transformers for this guy who makes guitar amplifiers. And so they they actually had a special coil winding machine in their shop that only wound my transformers, because the stuff they were making were these little, tiny, super sophisticated little transformers, and mine were these big, old-style uh, E-Core-type transformers. And, and, they, and as they evolved as a company, they, their whole manufacturing moved to a whole different set of techniques. So what they did is they kept one of the old winding machines that they kind of had in part of the shop, and they had like two people that were trained to operate it, and they and that's how my transformers were made. And that's why I was only able to get about ten sets a month out of them, hmm. um, and that's also why they cost so much. It was it was a numbers deal. So anyway, I, I don't mean to belabor the story, make too long, but I, I'm just kind of giving you the backstory of, of what it was like. And so for years it was not a problem because Martin DeYoung was a, is a friend of mine, and his uh, his brother actually did the winding on a lot of these, and and so it, it worked out pretty well. And once Excelia took over, you know the whole you know the, the the intention was that of course we would still you know they would still make my transfers and anything else, but you know the corporate bean counters kind of come in there and they look at this and they go. Why do you guys still make these transformers? You only make ten of these a month. You're, you know, they're they're really counterproductive for the rest of our production line. You know, we don't understand why you do this. You know, because they didn't understand any of the uh, the history of it, the, the legacy, or any of that. And so the, the price really started escalating on those transformers. The last couple batches I bought were quite a bit more expensive than what they already were. And they already cheap, yeah. And so that was becoming a problem, but I was willing to tough it out and just 
you know, roll with it as long as I was doing it. So it was eating, but, into, eating into the margin, I imagine. At that oh, point. it was. It was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To say it went up is an understatement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and what's even worse, though, is the lead time is getting ridiculous. It's like I it used to be, you know, I'd place an order and the, the, the general lead time would be, you know, four to six weeks and I'd have a set of transformers. But again, because the corporate control of Excelia made the decisions now instead of Martin, who, who's not even there anymore, by the way. So, so no DMs are even at DM anymore. Uh, and none of the people I used to work with are there anymore either. So everybody pretty much jumped ship at various times after Excelia took over. Um, and so, of course, their priorities were like, well, yeah, you can order, you're only ordering, you know, 20 pieces from us. It's not a big order. We've got a, you know, bazillion dollar thing to fill here for Boeing. So, you know, we'll get to yours when we get to it. So my lead time started to get really stretched out. So all, all of a sudden I'm like, I've got customers like, where's my app? I'm like, well, we're waiting on transformers, you know? And so it was just getting more and more problematic. So even had I kept going with Soldado myself, you know, personally, <coughs> I would have been faced with having to find a new transformer manufacturer because the last order of transformers I ever got from them, it was almost like pulling teeth and my wonderful few friends that were still left there that were, you know, that I've been working with for so many years were so apologetic. I mean, they were, they were almost embarrassed that, that they had to be the bearers of the bad news that, oh, you know, Mike, you know, your order is going to take longer. It's going to cost you more, blah, blah. And so, so the handwriting was on the wall. So when, when I, when I handed the keys over, so to speak to, to Avi, I was like, okay, Avi, you're going to have one huge problem to deal with and that is we've got to find you a transform manufacturer and so the good news was you know we had some time that's the beauty of this whole thing and it's been a you know soldanos have been out of production for a year now and the reason is we really wanted to make sure we did our due diligence to find the best possible parts the best transformers to replace what was there and by taking a, a, night, a sizable chunk of time off to do this, it's, you know, it gave, a, gave us all time to you know, really seek this out. And as it turned out, we found a company that is more than willing to build this, a transformer that is every bit as good, if not better than the DM. I've listened to it and tested it myself extensively. It sounds amazing. They nailed it. They got it really right. I mean, I gave I gave them a lot of the specs, so they had you know they I, I I I let go of the recipe so that you know they'd have something to work with, and they rose to the occasion, and they're they're building a great a great piece of iron, and I'm I, I can't be happier. So so um, you know things change, and I I'm immensely grateful for all the years that Dion did supply my transformers. Um, I. I, I have uh, a, gr a great deal of gratitude to the Dion brothers because you know, without those guys, you know, nobody wanted to make ten transformers per batch for a little tiny app company. You know, it was when I was first starting out, they went, they really went the extra mile to help me out. So, so that was great. But you know, now um, they're not involved in it, and Excelia has zero interest in making 
those transformers. So we've got a new company we're super happy with. They're easy to work with. They're no strangers to the guitar amp world. And uh, they're making a great product that I'm quite happy with. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, I got to say, I heard this all along going going along while this was going on. And, and uh, I, you know, I would venture to say the new Transformers are better. Yeah, I, I think they the are. The same, if not slightly better. Yeah, they sound really, really good. Mm -hmm. And they're really well made. I, I, I examined them very closely when I was down on one of my visits to, to boutique and man they've got it you know they they've nailed it so yeah I'm, I'm extremely happy with that so uh so for all those of you out there in viewing land that are worried about the demise of the of the dm mark and Solano, you have zero to worry about in fact you have a lot to look forward to because the new product is really something killer so it might be premature to ask this question, but I, I know some somebody had asked the question earlier, um, or was implying that it might be super expensive. Uh, Daniel Judge, uh, what is the cost? Do you do we happen to know what the cost may be? Is it going to be less expensive than what it was before? You know, I honestly don't know that yet. I know I know a little something, so uh, <laughs> I'm going to give you a ballpark. It's the SLO 100 is going to be four grand or under. Excellent. That's what I was hoping for. Yeah. That's what I was hoping. I was hoping. So less than the other ones. Yes. And I, and, and in my earlier conversations with Avi, I was hoping that we could get it down to a more affordable price point. So this is good news for me. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, you can't. No one can complain about that. It's cheaper than no. it was before. Um, Eric Johnson had a question: uh, Has the effects loop been moved in the new SLO? Yes, it is now Postmaster. So, when I originally designed that loop, and I mean, I'll give you the backstory to explain the the logic that was in my head at the time. So, in the 1980s, See, okay, first of all, I'll tell you that when I originally designed the SLO, it didn't even have an effects loop because I just wasn't an effects guy back then. I just didn't care about it. So I was like, I'm building this app myself. It doesn't need an effects loop because I'm not going to use it. So the original SLO didn't even have a loop. But of course, the minute people started becoming aware of that amp and it, and it became an actual product that I was you know, going to sell in the market, you know, everybody's like, you're gonna have to put an effects this thing. So I'm like, okay, let me come get to work on that. So the loop I put in it at the time, I put it before the master volumes and before the tone stack. And the reason I did this was because at the time, there was still a lot of analog products being built. Uh, and a lot of the digital stuff that was being built too was pretty crude at that time. So the so the clock frequencies, you know, the thing that was cutting everything up into little bite-sized chunks to process, um, were low enough that they were actually you could hear them audibly. I mean, it was like there was this noise that was really ever present in a lot of those earliest digital and analog delays and whatnot. And so my thinking at the time was, well, if I put the 
And so, of course, the manufacturers of those effects were putting were putting uh, filters in their products to kind of deaden out and kill this background noise. And so, basically, um, you would find that a lot of those early delays would cut top end. And the reason was they were trying to cut the cut that uber high frequency that was just noticeable of the clock, which is running way out there in you know supposedly inaudible land, but it had there were relics of it that were getting back down into the sound and they were so they had to filter that stuff out. So my thinking at the time was if I put the loop before the tone stack, you could use the tone controls to correct what you were losing going through the effect. So I it was kind of like I figured if I put it there, then that way you can doctor up the sound of the effect and get the amp sound good again. And 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 the same thing was same reason for having um, having it where it was was also so that in case there was a volume dropout because a, a lot of effects in those days were not exactly unity, um, you could correct for the volume with the master volume. So. That was my logic, but that was 1988, and unfortunately, I never changed the loop for all 30 years thereafter. And you know, it was serviceable; it worked. But modern thinking, and especially now with the use of, of stomp boxes, modern thinking is everybody wants to put their loops, wants to put their effects after everything. They want it; they want it to basically be like a preamp and power amp thing. Um, and so it makes sense to to now put the loop in after the master volumes, and so that's where it is on the SLO. And and actually, towards the end, we were doing that as a custom mod here at Soldan, old Soldano, uh, as a custom, as a you know, as a modification to the original design. But it was a lot of work, and now it's all built in. So it's like, and the new amp has a level control, so that also solves that problem that I was trying to solve using master volumes. Now it can all be done with the level control in the back of the app. Mm -hmm. And these, just so people know, are going to be hand wired like they used to be. That's that has, yes. yeah. yeah. Yep, that's awesome. Yep. Um, uh, power tubes and pots are all hand wired jacks. Yeah, and it's the same pots too. Still using the Clarestat pots. Still using orange drop caps on the circuit boards. In fact, I uh, I saw the new boards, and they're actually they're they've got this cool white on them, which looks really good. They're cool. Oh yeah, yeah. You posted a uh, a little sneak peek. I thought I saw. Oh, somebody boutique must have done that. Ah, how nice! Didn't I see a picture of that? I oh, maybe, maybe I might have been there. I mean, I was I was there in the picture. I don't think. I haven't actually seen one of those boards in my hands yet. I've only seen pictures of one that, that they've sent me as we communicated back and forth. Can, can I show it? Oh, go ahead, please. Isn't that beautiful? Look at that. Yeah. And like, see, it's all hand wired. It's, it's a beautiful board, beautiful layout. Yeah. Uh, very happy with it. Sweet. Yeah, I can't wait to, to hear it, see it. So they're going to have Teflon wire. Yeah. Just all the all good stuff. All the good stuff. So that's going to be at NAM. Yes. Um, and then let's talk about the uh, the thirty watt version. So was that mm -hmm. so was that the hot rod twenty five? Was that the the twenty five version before? Yeah, that's basically the hot rod twenty five. 
And so we're, we're calling it the SL30 now. We're giving it, you know, giving it a little bit different look. And, uh, and it's, it's going to be, it's going to be equally awesome. A little more power and, um, well, you have the clean crunch. It's, it's laid out just like the SLO. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's actually different and post, you know, post effects loop DC heaters, the same, same concept. Yeah. Which the original, the the original hot rod 25 had DC heaters and a post, uh, master effects loop mm-hmm. as well. So it's so it's basically that app. So they they we didn't do as many changes to that as we did the SLO because it was already it was already the evolved version. See, and that's the thing. Um, that's where I wanted the SLO to go when I did the Hot Rod 25. Was like, okay, this has got a lot of the stuff in it that I was I was at some point hoping to get around to doing on the SLO, and now we're doing it. So it's it's cool. That is cool. By the way, Bruce Egnator was in the chat. If you're still there, Bruce, how you doing, man? Uh, hope you're doing well. Um, Hi, Bruce. So, Lex, the Lex Luthier had asked a question about any plans for a more affordable Soldano line, a la the Hot Rod series. So there you go. So the the 30 watt version will be lower in price, I imagine. Oh yeah, I think I think the I think the SLO thirty is going to be very affordable. Again, I I haven't really discussed the pricing um, with with the powers that be because I that's just something I don't want to deal with anymore. That's totally up to boutique. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from what I hear, it's going to be very affordable, and um, we haven't really talked yet about what the next uh, lower priced amp is going to be but we're definitely going to probably fill out the line for sure that's cool so can you um you know before we go go to that i just want to mention sweetwater.com uh so tonight's show is brought to you guys by sweetwater.com check out sweetwater.com for all your gear needs um and uh yeah so let's get back to the manufacturing and your your involvement in the development so what like over this past time of you working with boutique amps what's been your like your role and what have you been doing with like with the amps well here's what's really interesting basically i haven't had to do much more than be a consultant at this point boutique has an amazing team of people that are all incredibly talented and um so basically, I just say, this is what I want, and then they do something, and they show it to me and go, is this what you wanted? And I'll go, oh, that's good, except maybe just change that, and then we go back and forth. So basically, they have a they have a really a great engineer down there named Peter, mm-hmm. and um, they have a great PC board layout guy who I haven't even met yet, who plays out these, these great circuit boards, and... They've got they've got all the stuff in house. They've got graphics. They've got the whole nine yards. And so basically, I'm just at this point. I'm a consultant, and I'm a set of ears. I, I they do stuff. I listen to it. I go yes, no, yay, nay. I look at the I look at what they're doing, and I go oh that layout's good. So I want to move that there this year. And so it's really been pretty pretty great for me because like I said, I'm sort of semi-retired now. So yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so I'm. Is, again, it's kind of fun because I, it's, it's for once I actually 
can just kind of kick back and do the part I like best and, and delegate and have others do it and trust that it's going to get done right. I mean, um, I think part of what, what the thing that happened to me before, which really limited what I was able to do, was the fact that I pretty much did everything myself. I did my own graphic layout. I did my own board layouts. I did everything involved in designing my apps. And uh, it was very time consuming. And so, it, you know, it limited what I could do. And so now it's great just to have, have this really super competent crew that I can just pass things along to. And, I, and, and the thing that's really been fun for me is a lot's changed in you know, the 30 years since I started, 30 plus years since I started Solvana. And it's really, it's really exciting to see some of the new manufacturing techniques that can be used um, that I never really had um, access to back in the day. Like nowadays, uh, you can do front and rear panels with uh, with lasers and stuff like that, and uh, and it makes you know like you can make a custom amp or a custom panel layout in just a matter of seconds. You know, it's all computer laid out graphics and stuff. Whereas when I first started out, I was actually um, doing all the, the panel layouts by using these letter, this product called Letraset. It was a, you buy this sheet of, of um, material that would have all these little letters that have like you know, 50 A's and 20 B's and everything else. And then you would lay it on the artwork or on this on your paper and you'd rub it with the end of a pencil and it glue it down onto the paper. And that's how I do letter by letter on paper, and I lay out these these, these panels. And then I would have to take them to this these what they called a, a stat house, and that's where they had these huge cameras, and they would shoot film, and then they would use that film to do the silk screening to print directly on the chassis. Yeah, yeah. Now you can do all this stuff sitting in a laptop, you know, and so it's really it's fun to see how much more you can do because the tools. Are there to make the job easier and faster so it's it's pretty cool and they're doing all that they're totally state-of-the-art they've got all that stuff in-house at boutique mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and like the amp behind you with the three different colors which i don't know if you'll yeah. they'll be able to do that but um they will be able to do custom colors i know that they yeah that they're able yeah. To do yeah i think so yeah, custom colors. Uh, I mean, I'm sure down the road there could be custom panel colors. There could maybe, uh, who knows, you know. Yeah, but. yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like the panels are so easy to do now because they can, they've got a, a whole variety of materials they can use. So, like, you wanted to have one that had a purple front panel with white lettering instead of white with black, they can do that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, for some reason a purple SLO just sounds really cool to me. So I know, you know, I think I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to maybe angle towards us doing a, a, a maybe a limited production batch of purple ones. That'd be pretty cool. Call yeah. them the grapes or something, you know, the that's, great SLO. That's what I said when that you know, decision was sort of made, and it's like, whoa, wait, we could do a purple panel. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be cool? I would be all over that. That would yeah. be awesome. And then Avi goes, or a black one if someone wants it, or... There you go. I think, I, like I say, it's so nice now to have have this capability to kind of, you know, really push the push push the envelope on, on being able to have more options available. 
Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, as long as somebody's willing to wait to do a custom order, you can have pretty much whatever you want. Yeah. That's cool. So, all right. So we've, we've gone through um, the SLO 100 and the SLO 30. Um, and then you talked about the pedal, mm -hmm. the GTO overdrive yeah. pedal. So, yeah, the pedal is getting a, a major rework. So, um, it's, it's still kind of in the works. We're still still working on it. Um, but the new one is going to have two different, it's going to be like a little, it's actually, it's kind of morphing more from a pedal into almost a preamp on the floor because it's now going to have a, a full tone stack in it. So before I just had a tone knob, now it's going to have a tone treble and it's going to be two channels. So it'll have two, you'll have two different boost capabilities, which will be kind of fun. So you'll have full bypass, and then you'll have two different um, two different levels of boost or, or overdrive, so that you can pretty much cover all of your bases. Set your amp super clean, clean your clean sound. Use the pedal for your rhythm, and use another channel on the pedal for your for your leads. That sounds great. And is it still going to be huge? That's the main question. You know, I have to. I have to say it's going to be the same physical size, but of course it's not going to weigh as much as the original supercharger pedals, which is close to 10 pounds. Oh, really? I so, didn't realize yeah. it. Well, the, well the, okay, well, the very original ones, the ones that have the thick half-inch aluminum side panels, mm. those things I think weighed about eight and a half pounds, something like that. Yeah, I remember when those, when those were out, I always, said, I always said, man, if you want to hurt someone, just throw this at them. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You got somebody in that front row that's really giving you a hard time, man. You just kick your pedal up and top. Bam. They're done. <laughs> like throwing so, yeah, but it's like yeah, a pair of bricks think, at them. Physically, I think it's going to be the same size just because of the two channels. We need the width to be able to get the buttons far enough apart so that you're not tripping over yourself switching channels. But weight-wise, it's considerably lighter. Well, yeah, that sounds great. Which, which almost like a question just popped in my head because – I mean, at that point, if you're making a preamp that could be on the floor, what's what about making a preamp that you can put in a rack again, like doing something like that, going back to the X88 or? Yeah, well, you know. Um... Dave's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's the thing. I mean, uh, anything's possible. It's just a question if the the uh the world wants it you know what i mean exactly in, 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 more, in more than 10 piece quantities that's true i was just going to say that dave because that's the thing you know over the over the years i'd always get phone calls from guys and they'd be like gosh you know i really wish i'd bought an x88r back when you were still making them can, can you still do something like that and i said well no i'm all out of parts and the minimum order quantity for the sheet metal, you know, for all the chassis components, all that stuff, it's about 100 pieces before you can, before it even becomes remotely, you know, financially feasible. And, and the guys would be like, well, gosh, you know, you could, you could build 100 of those. You know, we just love these. I go, you and maybe a couple of your buddies are nuts about this, but I haven't had another call for one of these things in years. So I don't want to order 100 pieces to build you one preamp and then have 99 sets of chassis sitting in my shop that'll be collecting dust for the next 30 years. So the thing <laughs> is, 
I think, you know, I think we'd be totally on board to coming out with preamps if there was an actual demand for rack mount gear again, you know, because, you know, back in the 80s, yeah, you could, you could sell as many preamps as you could possibly build, you know, and early 90s even. But in the last couple, I don't know, last almost 20 years or so, I have not seen, I have not seen a lot of people really get behind that whole preamp you know, refrigerator rack thing anymore. So if the demand is there, we'd be happy to oblige. I mean, it, I, again, I've got all the original designs. I still have everything, all the original um, schematics and layouts and everything else for the X88R. We could even put that back out, but there would have to be enough demand to warrant the cost of starting up a new product again. Which means at least 100. At least a hundred, yeah. There'd have to be at least a hundred, yeah. Hundreds, and that's a pretty low bar when you think about it. But it's sometimes it's hard to even get that get to that point. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but I mean, the the whole kind of preamp thing has been coming back. I mean, I know the well, city. Good. Yes, sort of. I I mean. Yes, there's the synergy stuff, uh, which is super cool. But you know, here, here's the real thing that I, that I always question in my mind because I've thought about the same thing. Do, hey, should I make a print? You know, I, I kind of want to actually, but um, because yes, you do see some of it coming back with people using Axifexes and things like this in Iraq, uh, especially touring people and stuff. Um, so there probably is a market. But the issue, first of all, there's hardly any rack mount effects. Those don't exist pretty much anymore. Yeah. You have the effects right. and almost yeah. nothing else other yeah, than people use the tray. I studio things like Bricosti or something like that. Uh, I mean, they just don't really exist anymore. Uh, you know, I kind of wish they did, or at least something did. <laughs> right, uh, right. But. Um, so the you know are you going to use it with pedals then? Then it's kind of a mixed format. Are you going to use it with the axe effects? Well, that's a possibility. Sure, you can use that as your you know your effects processor. Uh, but I, the market just has to warrant the, yeah. us going into making it. I mean, I, I thought the same thing. I mean, you know, I'd like to make one. It'd be fun. And I, and in some respects. Um, with what people are talking about, like, hey, uh, you know, I, uh, the rack thing was actually very um, neat and tidy. I mean, you would have, you know, a, even a small rack, you'd have a rack and a processor and a power amp. And, man, your pedal board just plugged in and the speaker cables came out and that was it. You roll it on, roll it off. It was, it was wheels. It actually was the easiest setup in the world. It really now was. think about it. Okay, maybe I got a head and a cabinet, or a couple heads and a cabinet, or a couple combos, uh, and a pedal board. There's more to set up than you, you know, than there was before. Um, so you know, I don't know. I, I'd like to think yes, but then yeah, we'll see. I guess. Yeah, I mean, the only reason why I, I I thought about it was because I know hell, I'll make a preamp too if the market says so. You know, yeah. well, Bruce is making it. Bruce made made a preamp, right? That's coming, I do believe. Yeah, he's making a, a reissue of it, but in limited, very limited numbers. Yeah, it's limited, definitely. You know. Yeah. So. That's cool. That's good. Um, so we had some questions on the actual uh, if you're able to 
say who's making the Transformers. People are like Siemens, Magnetic Components, Mercury, Haybower. It's not Mercury. No. Definitely not Mercury. Should I say? I don't know. I don't think it, I don't think it would hurt. Well, I don't know. I mean, it'd be it's magnetic components. You know, they 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 deserve kudos because they did a, you know, yeah. Why not let people know that, that these guys really stepped up to the plate and built a great great component, great part. Cool. All right, David Fuller asked that question. Believe me, I saw numerous prototypes. I heard numerous prototypes comparing back to back with the originals. And believe me when I say it sounds every bit as good, if not slightly better than the original. Yeah. Well, in fact, you know, I have to say that it's, I, it's the, it's also better matched to Celestian speakers because we're now using Celestian Vintage 30s, which is another big change. And as you know, people have known over the years, I've been fairly outspoken about how there's this upper mid-range thing in Vintage 30s that I personally never liked. And now, of course, you have to take all this in the context that speaker selection is incredibly subjective. Some people like cilantro. Some people think it tastes like soap, you know, so... Um, I personally, for the record, love cilantro. So if anybody makes me have food, know that I'm totally into cilantro. Anyhow, but it's very subjective. But for years, I would tell people like, yeah, vintage 30s are really great speakers, but they got this upper mid-range thing that just bothers me. Well, the cool thing is this new transformer with vintage 30s sounds amazing. And so Somehow it plays better with the Celestian speaker. It, it, it likes it better. It, it, it complements it better. And when I went down to to uh, to test out the prototypes, um, we were playing it through cabinets of vintage thirties, and I was just sitting there going, "This sounds incredible. Where did you get the Eminence Legends?" And it's like Peter's like, "Those are vintage thirties," and I'm like. Could have fooled me, so it plays it plays better with the with the vintage thirties. I'm, I'm real excited. It's a, it's a nice match. That's great. That's awesome yeah. to hear. Um, and now, of course, if somebody wanted different speakers, I imagine they could order them. I'm I'm thinking so. Um, Most I'm, likely. Yeah, I, I'm thinking they could, but I'm. You know, I, I got to say that over the years, a very large majority of my customers did use vintage 30 spirit solos and loved it. And like I say, you know, it's just, it's personal taste, you know. Um, uh, and so I think that the choice by Boutique to make the vintage 30 the standard offering is a good choice. I mean, I'm, I'm, I have loyalty to Eminence because they've treated me so well for so many years and I love their products and I, and I do still find that their Legend 30 is an amazing speaker. But I think with the new Transformer and all of that, Vintage 30 rocks. It sounds it sounds good. It's a good match. Yep. Awesome. Um, 
Eddie Villanueva says, um, how will you honor the lifetime warranty on the SLO Transformer? I guess he means from the previous amps. Well, actually, the previous amps, the Transformers were not warrantied. So it was a limited warranty, and we excluded Transformers because all somebody has to do is fire up the amp, not plug in the speaker cabinet, turn it up to 11 because they're not hearing anything come through it, and they can fry the output Transformers. So from very early on, I excluded tubes, Transformers. And the other thing that I think a lot of people also didn't, realize was the warranty was for our workmanship and what we did. In other words, we weren't going to take responsibility for parts made by other manufacturers because that would be a you know, that'd be a fool's bet to go for a lifetime on a part that we didn't make. So the lifetime warranty was really just on what we did. Like, you know, if we put an amp together and didn't solder a connection and thirty years later it finally slipped loose and we had to fix it. Well there's that. But um that never happens. But, it, you know, it never happens except once or twice. <laughs> or twice, <laughs> maybe a few more. <laughs> so, but the thing is, is um, the, the lifetime warranty on the original SLOs was for the life of Soldano Custom Application. And Soldano Custom Application does not exist anymore. And so it's, it's not a responsibility that I'm... Uh, passing on to boutique because they're they didn't build those so uh, i guess the the blunt and apologetic answer is i'm not warranting anything anymore because my business is closed and done and i'm now retired right okay that's a simple answer if somebody has your previous amp and something goes wrong i'm sure they can get it fixed some yeah, yeah there's places to go get it repaired it's an what's it what's that dave I'll repair them. there you go no, nothing ever goes wrong i i mean i i literally nothing ever goes wrong with those amps i mean yeah. occasionally like uh i've seen circuit board screws you know like loosen up over the uh, you know the years the 20 plus years and uh, uh fall out and then the board rips a wire off something but uh, that's the only thing i've ever seen <laughs> Yeah, that, and that's basically, yeah, I mean, they're, they pretty much are built to last forever. And if they make it past the first month, they'll make it for another 40 years, basically. So, yeah, that's cool. Um, Modern Vintage asks, do we have an estimated ship date? Can we discuss the cabs that will be offered? I know we talked about the speakers, uh, but he, can we dis discuss the cabs that will be offered alongside it? I have an approximate ship date. I, I, I did a little investigating before I came here. <laughs> you know where the hunt is in. I am told the NAM show or earlier. So really, NAM's not very far off here. So. No, it's not. January, <laughs> yeah. January 19th or something? Ten week, ten week, less than 10 weeks, I think. Yeah, less than oh, 10 God, weeks. Isn't that like something? Nine weeks. Uh, because it's early in January this year. It's like January 6th. Yes, earlier. Yeah, it's earlier this year. Yeah, yeah so there you have it. It'll be definitely before. I, and I was told that. I was told that we would have stuff by now. So. Yeah. It's a low first. SLO 100 first. 12. So that's what we've got so far. 412s, 212. All right. Well, if there's an SLO 30, put my name on it because I want one. 
Yay! Well, that's second. So the the, the first will be the hundred. So okay. Well, I yeah, I can't use another one hundred, but the thirty that's next. All right. So the thirty will t- come in the second wave. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. Um, Jim Becker asks, Master Volume will it have a good taper? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're the same pots we used before, so it's the same taper as the original SLO. So they're still we're still using the Claristat um, tangiometers. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's a, again a good taper is very subjective. You know, it's like, what's right. your idea of doing it? You know, uh, but yeah, I I always felt the Claristat had a nice taper. Okay. Yeah, I mean, well, I know Jim Becker. He's got a Friedman BE one hundred, so he might be thinking along those lines where it can get real quiet. Um, well, I I have to say that I would say this version sounds better at a lower volume than the predecessor. Okay. Uh, um, it's not the taper it's not really i mean it sounds the same at the same volume believe me we sat there with amp switchers going back and forth to a a couple different originals uh being srv amp being one of them yes yeah uh you know uh which is a really old one and uh and you know was you couldn't tell or most of the time we wound up picking the new one so as being the better one <laughs> so you know oh, yeah there you go <laughs> i don't I, there's nothing more to say about that i mean it's it's just there's nothing there's nothing else you're not getting uh by no means are you getting anything inferior mm-hmm. uh you're, you're you know the old one is not better than the new one uh the new one i would say is better because all the things that you complained about on the old one are fixed right <laughs> so you know Yep. evolution that pretty much says it right there yeah. and this is i don't have any you know i have no i'm not paid to do this i'm not you know i'm not uh you know i'm not involved financially in any way either you know i'm just you know it just uh can you listen to this you know that's basically what i get <laughs> yeah because you're there every day I, yeah. I wish i could be down there more often but yeah, yeah. you're there every day so when they when they need a set of ears, they, they, they have you there, and that, that's wonderful. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, so you mentioned that you were moving earlier. I'm not sure if some people caught it. Um, so uh, if you can mention, where are you moving again? I'm moving to Tacoma, Washington. So it's a, it's a city about 45 miles south of Seattle. So it's, it's, it's the kind of the... The little sleeping, um, it's what Seattle was 20 years ago. It's, it's, it's a neat little town that still has a, a nice blue collar core and uh, still has artists in it, whereas Seattle's got so expensive that no artists or musicians can afford to live in Seattle anymore. So mm-hmm. they all kind of migrated uh, either way south to Portland or they're now discovering Tacoma, which is, like say, this little, this nice little laid-back city just south of Seattle. And so I'm going down there because it'll be a lot more affordable to live in in my retirement years. And it's a beautiful place. It's a, it's a, it's a really nice it's, – it's, it's, it's in a nice setting. Um, 
and it's got a much more laid back uh, attitude than Seattle's become. Seattle's become a very tech centric city. It's like it's, it's becoming um, becoming kind of uh, gentrified and there's, uh, you know, I don't want to get into Seattle politics or anything, but it's, it's getting to be sort of a place where there it's, it's hard to be a manufacturer or somebody who does something with your hands. They, they, they really, I think the powers that be have this vision that Seattle's just going to be a, a place with a bunch of really good restaurants, coffee shops, and a bunch of techies that ride around on fashionable bicycles, you know? So <laughs> not, not really my vision of a wonderful place to get old in. So I'm, I'm going to go somewhere where people are still in the hot rods and cars and there's car shows on the weekends and there's still, you know, a, a working waterfront and you can still go buy a set of ball bearings at an industrial supply store instead of having to order from Amazon, you know? So yeah, that's Tacoma. It's, it's a cool nice. city. So that's cool. Yeah. yeah, what you just described with the whole tech thing, and it reminded me of Cambridge, Massachusetts, where I ah, I've never been there. Yeah. I go I go there a lot for work, and it's just like tech and pharma, tech and pharma, and then yeah, that's, that's the other thing we have here. Yeah, we have a lot of um, of um, the um, oh god, it's slipping. I, I tip my tongue, but it's like uh, biotech. Yeah, oh biotech. Lot, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the big okay. industry. Well, that's cool. Well, good. Good luck with the move. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Daniel Judge wanted to know, what power tubes will the new SLO use? What brand? Um, and if you happen to know. Um, I believe we're still using SoapTech 5881s. Am I correct, Dave? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They're great tubes. They're just bulletproof. They're consistent. They last a long time. They sound great. I agree. Yeah, yeah, they're wonderful. I kind of wish I could use them in every amp. Yeah, because they're so reliable, right? Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. just, they're so solid. I have them in one. <laughs> You'll come but around, Dave. You'll come around. <laughs> I never, never have problems with that one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah, so... Except I have a rectifier tube in it, so but I do have problems with those. <laughs> yeah, well, you know that. I, I, it's funny you mentioned that. That's something else I'm noticing that we're having a little bit of a tube crisis on these days. It's getting kind of tough to find really good rectifier tubes that have any. I mean, there's good ones out there. They just don't seem to have a very long life expectancy. All right. Yeah, they're short. Yep. Mm. Yeah, they work good while they work, but then they don't last that long. So, which amps are, have a tube rectifier that you guys are making? For well, us, nothing that I do have a tube. Yeah, Dave. Free. Yeah. Uh, Dirty Shirley. Dirty Shirley. Oh, didn't know that. And some new amp that is left unsaid at the moment. Oh, got a new one, huh, Dave? Cool. <laughs> well, you got to have something up your sleeve for Nam. I I haven't asked you. I haven't. You know, of course, it's. I've been curious, but I haven't even asked. Everything's been so busy, but I imagine something's up your sleeve. You know, you scramble around at the last minute, and then all of a sudden, something kind of pops into place. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. I've done that. <laughs> and, and then, and then you, 
then you really scramble. <laughs> right. Exactly. We got to get yeah, this. I, I took a prototype to Nam one year. It was of the uh, it was the Astroverb, and we were so down to the wire to have a prototype, and I couldn't get my my sheet metal guy to finish knocking the thing out. So I hand bent the chassis, drilled it all out, spray bombed it with white spray paint, and then for the front panel, since I didn't have any capability for doing silk screening, I laid it out uh, in Photoshop on my computer, printed it out on paper, and then I got some three-inch wide packing tape, you know, gloss, you know, clear packing tape, <laughs> and I took the packing tape and I very carefully put it across the top of the paper cutout. And you know, and smoothed it out really well to to kind of give it like that plastic laminated vibe. And then I glued that to the front of the sheet metal chassis, put all the pots and knobs on. And from even a foot away, you thought you were looking at a white powder coated chassis with silk screening on it. When actually it was paper <laughs> behind clear packing tape, and that was the prototype we took to Nam. That's cool. Just under the wire. And it's like, okay, don't anybody look at the edges because you're going to see that it's just paper. <laughs> you know what? It looked pretty good sitting there on our table at the show. And right. was don't, get <laughs> yeah, don't get too close. Yeah, don't get too close. Aaron Cram asks, are, are the amp chassis at Boutique punched or lasered? I know we talked about laser printing before, but... Ah, uh, good question. I think, um, they're, I think they're punched, aren't they? Uh, they might be lasered, actually. Oh, okay. That's a good question. Um, I know some are punched and some are lasered. So uh, I'm pretty sure they're lasered, actually. Okay. There you go. I didn't know. I, I Lasered and bent and made in Lancaster, California. Yeah. And they look really good. I mean, the prototype I saw was really yeah. nice. The welding yeah. is beautiful so. Yeah, it's a it's the same people that do all the metal work for us and all the other brands. Well, they do an amazing job. So, mm -hmm. so um, David Fuller also asks: Are those relays I see for switching? Yes. yes, yes, and that's that's another thing that that I had on all of my designs starting in about the oh around two thousand. Before I started all my new designs moving forward, I started going to relays because the back techs were becoming, well, A, very expensive, but B, they were becoming harder. Again, these were parts I would actually test before I was put into a circuit board because there was some variation in the on and off resistance of them. And so we would sit there and power them up and measure them with an ohmmeter and sort them before we would build circuit boards. And so again, that was state-of-the-art technology in 1988, but these days with <laughs> better quality relays that are being built um, and the better contacts, like all, all modern relays nowadays have gold contacts and stuff, it just makes way more sense to use, to use relays. Plus, now there's a power supply already in the amp to run them because if you're running DC heaters, you've already got a power supply a DC power supply to run the relays on. So yes, um, one of the improvements or changes on the new SLO was to just, you know, get rid of the old 1988 back decks, which worked perfectly fine. Trust me. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. 
but they don't make sense in modern time. There's better, there's better parts and better ways to do it. And like the Hot Rod 25, I, I had relays in that. The, uh, the new version of the Reverbal Sonic has relays. The 44 has a relay in it. So all my newer designs, I was moving towards relays anyhow. So that was just a natural thing to do since we were redesigning the entire amp. Okay, yeah, cool. it's, it's actually a cleaner signal path. It's, it's there's less distortions, there's less everything. Just uh, it's just like a wire. Yeah. Hard connections, like a wire. So mm -hmm. in the um, past, the problem was just reliability, you know, or there was noise issues because the contacts were inferior to what they can make nowadays. So you you know you would get not necessarily perfect connection right on contact, and that would you know create noise issues and stuff like that. Okay. Now this might also be uh, premature, but Stephen Douglas asked the question: uh, Will it be the same dealers as Friedman Amps or Guitar Center? Do we know where Saldano may be sold? That depends. Well, I would say probably Guitar Center for sure, right? But from there on, I don't know what Boutique's distribution network looks like. Sweetwater potentially. Yeah, but potentially like any of the dealers that we're in or Tone King or, or any of these other dealers, potentially, but it's uh, it's really up to the dealer if they want to carry it. Well, that's so, right. Exactly. All you can't, choice. You can't bend, you know, you can't twist their wrist, you know. Well, they need to start signing up because uh, <laughs> line up. Line up. Line up. <laughs> exactly. Um, so modern. Vintage, we had a super chat from Modern Vintage, and he asked, uh, Dave, how does the SLO compare to the 100 Deluxe tonally and regarding pick attack? You know, really, they're different amplifiers, although Mike's amp is still based on, the, you know, the the 100-watt, shall we say, basement architecture originally or Marshall architecture at, at the heart of it. It's It's kind of far away from that, and mine is way more geared towards that so uh really two different sounding amplifiers um hard you know and pick attack that that's hard also to judge what you mean by that exactly Great. i don't i don't even know how to i don't even know how to you know interpret that necessarily everyone interprets what pick attack is differently mm. so that's a tough one to answer so the bottom line is you should have one of each amp at least <laughs> I, absolutely, and they're different enough. You should, you should, so, uh, you know, and you know. Hell, you know what? I've never owned one. I've always wanted one of yours. <laughs> you can. <laughs> I can. Exactly. We also have a super chat from Travis Posey. He said Seattle isn't the same since Fraser left. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and here's something that's funny about that. For a a real Seattleite watching Frazier, it used to crack us up because the way they positioned where the space needle was in relation to other things mm. was real. <laughs> it was like they had created the background shot using, it was a composite, so it really wasn't what looking out his window would have really looked like if, if he was actually really in Seattle. <laughs> right. Yeah. Only Seattle people would know. Where have you been there? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, well, Travis, thank you for the uh, super chat. Also, Modern Vintage, thanks a lot. Um, we had a question from 
Uh, somebody, uh, let me see. God, please tell me I remember their name. Eric Johnson. Um, thanks, Eric, for sending me the message. He said, um, could you ask Mike to talk about the Little Luck amplifier uh, that he made for Prince? And I don't think we actually talked about that last show either. Okay, so um, the Little Luck never got off the ground. I, I kind of I kind of mixed that project after I spent a lot of money developing it, and I won't go into why, but it just it didn't it didn't launch. So, uh, but what the Little Luck was or was supposed to be was a totally clean head, and um, I built a few of them. Uh, one for myself, one for an early customer, and I uh, traded a couple to a friend of mine for some some work he did for me. So there, there's a couple that exist, but what it was, it was a 50-watt head that was totally clean, had zero gain whatsoever. But what it originated from was the last amps that Prince had were so, some amps that I built for him that were based on... They were 100 watts. Okay, so what had happened is, I can't remember exactly when it was, but one, the guitar tech uh, working for Prince at the time was a guy named Todd from here in Seattle. And Prince was looking to, to get into a new kind of amp. And so Todd gave me a call. He's a luthier here in Seattle. And uh, I think his last name's Baker. I'm trying to remember. God, one thing about getting old, your memory isn't as good as it used to be. I'm sorry to say. Unfortunately. Anyway, yeah. uh, anyway, Todd got a hold of me, and he was like, "Okay, Prince is looking for some new amps. He's really into boutique pedals. Everything he's doing nowadays is pedals." He says he just wants an amp that will make his pedals loud. He wants a big, clean head. So I was like, oh, well, this would be fun. I, 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 I'll take a shot, take a crack at it. So what I did at the time is I took um, 100 watt Avengers, because I figured that's a good platform to start with, had a really robust power section. And I, you know, got out my drill and started slicing and dicing the circuit board. And I basically took all the gain stages out and just put a real nice fat front end in it um with a nice tone stack and just big power 100 watt power section put a depth control on it and built these heads and and basically what i was and, and i made it totally clean it had virtually no gain it has two 12 ax7s in it one for the preamp and one for the phase of it there there is no gain in this thing and <coughs> at the time i was like okay todd take this to prince get his feedback on it, I'll change it any way he wants, and we'll come up with something he really likes, right? Hmm. Well, Todd took it, and Prince loved it right out of the gate. He didn't want me to change a thing. So I ended up building him five more of them, and wow. then his uh, guitar player, Donna, got two. And so those were what we called around the shop here, we called them the Prince amps. And they were uh they were really cool they were just these big awesome super clean 100 watt heads with you know just just basically like say take his pedal board with all of his boutique pedals and just make it louder and so from that the spin-off was going to be the little luck but 
Um, little luck didn't happen. Mm. So how was it meeting Prince? Did you get ever, ever get a chance to meet him? No, I never even got a chance to talk to him. In fact, uh, and I understood it. Todd very seldom spoke to him. It's like he's a he's a I guess he's a pretty interesting guy to work for. Yeah. So no, I never spoke to him ever. Never got to meet him, which I really regret because I think we could have really had some cool gear geek type conversations, but never happened. Yeah, he was kind of reclusive or in his own little shadow of people, circle of people. Um, let's see. Uh, so David Fuller had another question on the effects loop. Is it still DC coupled cathode follower? Having two of those was part of the sound of the SLO to my ears, he said. Well, it's it's using it's using the, the so there's the cathode follower that drives the tone stack and the master volume, and then it's kind of that old um, RCA design, which is a cathode follower that actually drives the loop. And I don't know. I I I I, I would might disagree that the the loop slo is you know part of the sound i i uh i distinctly remember because mike can attest i've been around since pretty much he started (laughs) started the company or at least 1988 so maybe a year after or something and 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 over the years of being involved in retail and stuff i sold a lot of slos to people and uh, I remember distinctly that everyone wanted one without a loop in it. Yeah, and that's true. <laughs> because they thought those sounded better. <laughs> so, exactly. yep. so uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll disagree with that. <laughs> no, and, and the thing is, back in the day, we offered them with or without a loop, and, and the non-loop ones were very popular. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the loop was... You know, for me, the loop was always kind of like just a, something that needed to be put in there for necessity. I was never a fan of having a loop in in the amp. And and to be honest with you, well, since we're talking about it, this SLO behind me, which is my personal one, this doesn't have a loop in it either. So, yeah. There you go. Shorter signal path. Right. Yeah. Lots, so less. And that's cool that it'll have the option now where you can bypass it. That's right, and that's and I'm glad that that's now a standard option. Right, um, Wyatt Willis, thanks for the question. Would you love would love to hear how Mr. Soldano's experience was working with Tim Caswell, and thoughts on Caswell's philosophy on tone or as a builder? Well, um, at the time that I was working, Tim's a great guy. I I, I always had a good time working with him. Um, at the time that I was working with him, though, he was basically, his main deal was building um, synths. He was, he was making, he made like uh, modern day versions of Moog synthesizers and stuff like that. So I've never really talked to him about guitar amp stuff. I mean, what he did for me on the, on the, on the X99 was he designed the MIDI implementation to run the motorized pots. So, so Tim's contribution to the X99 was the automation. So he designed the entire computer that's in there that stores the presets, runs the motors, does all that. The audio path was all my work. So 
you know, he, he liked what I did and, you know, and we would talk about stuff, but I didn't, I didn't know much about what his approach was to guitar amp stuff because again, mainly at that time he was concentrating most of his efforts, efforts on the, uh, the synthesizer stuff, keyboard stuff. Great guy though, wonderful to work with. I, I liked him. I always had a good time working with him. Cool. Um, Mike Yearling has an interesting question. So is the upgraded loop design something that can be retrofitted on my old SLO? Of course, any mods possible, it's just how much work you want to put into it. Um, yeah, I mean, it could be. Um, we were doing some similar type of mods in the last couple of years I was still doing amps because you know people were showing more and more interest in that kind of stuff. So there are a few, there's, you know, there's probably a, oh, there's probably a dozen to maybe two dozen SLOs out there that have that type of a loop put in it that we did as a mod. But in an older SLO, it does require a bit of slicing and dicing to, to do it just because, you know, there's, it's a, it's a significantly different circuit in some ways. And so, you know, we've got to mount some, we have to drill holes in the chassis and put some, um, little um, standoffs that stick up that we can add some components to and reroute some stuff off of the loop jacks. It's, it's totally doable. You know, we take out the um, slate out control and we put a level control there for the loop. And so it's, it's doable. It's, it, it's kind of a labor intense mod. I mean, I think the last, when we were last doing it, I was charging about 600 bucks to do that mod. Um, wow. Okay. I, I probably, I mean, I think anybody could do it just by looking at a schematic, any, you know, competent um, technician could, you know, figure out a way to do it. You know, maybe not um, exactly how I did it, but they could certainly replicate that circuit and make it work. So, yeah, it's doable. It's just, you know, how much effort you want to put into it. You may just want to get one of the new SLOs and it'll always be there. So. You know, just you know, just you know, just 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 see where the where the the economy lies. Like, what makes the most sense economically? I've all, I've also done a bunch uh, of chain of uh, post loops on SLOs over oh, time. There's your guy to go and, to, right? Uh, and and I do I use one of my loop boards, but then I, I but I wire it up in such a way where I don't drill any more holes. I wire it up to the original jacks that are there, so. Oh. So it makes it kind of uh, uh, reversible, if you'd like, you know. Nice. Uh, do two tiny little stand-up holes have to be drilled, but that you won't see that. It won't be on the outside uh, that you can visually see. There you go. Well, there you go. go. Go see Dave, and he'll take care of you. That's awesome, Dave. I didn't know you were doing that. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done I've done several of them over over time. Good. Good. Well, now I know who to send people to. Excellent. Yeah. There you go. In well, fact, I think one of one of those amps showed up here. I think, or was on its way here to do that too. Awesome. <laughs> there you go. I get boxes all week, and then a lot of times they don't get open till Saturday. So I'm not sure what's in the four boxes that I have sitting out here. <laughs> Either way, it's work. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> people, people always email me and, and like, yeah. So, so my amps been arrived there yesterday. So is everything cool? And uh, you know, how's it going? Well, it's, the box is still sitting where it came in with UPS. <laughs> oh, uh, 
The next few days, I'll open it probably. (laughs) At least it arrived. That's always a good sign. It is here. That's the first thing. I'm just I'm super anal about just like did it arrive in one piece? Yes, that's the biggest worry. That's right. Did it get there in one piece? I've had FedEx drop some of our stuff in the past, where I I swear to God I don't know how far it had to have fallen to do the damage it did. Yeah, I've seen a couple, a couple like that, but generally it revolves around UPS. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had a I had a Lucky 13. So on our Lucky 13s, the chassis on top, the transformers hang down. Yeah. This must have been dropped from a very high thing because it actually ripped the ears off the transformer bells because it hit something. <laughs> the transformers kept going, and they ripped the ears right off the bells where they were bolted to the chassis. And it deformed the chassis. Something terrible. Yeah. You know. You know. Funny thing is, sometimes, and sometimes uh, things are packed well, and it happens. Uh, but then sometimes I've seen stuff come to me where there's literally cardboard wrapped around an amp shell. Yeah, no packing at all, right? Literally nothing, and the amp's perfectly fine. I know. Is that weird? It's like no damage whatsoever. I I almost like like start to wonder. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's true. I had a, I had someone ship me a guitar in just the guitar case with a label oh slapped a label slapped on the guitar case. Oh man! And I was like, and it came from Canada, and I thought for wow. sure the guitar was going to be screwed up inside. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't, which was like a miracle. So that is a miracle. Yeah. I had a, a, a three thirty five. Uh, Orville by Gibson guitar come from Japan. When it when it, when I picked it up at the post office, it there was I swear to God there was nothing. It was like a gig bag in a box, and and there was a hole in the box, and I'm just like going, oh my god. <laughs> And I opened it, it's perfectly fine. <laughs> I'm like, wow. How is that possible? Well, that was lucky. Yeah, that but was then lucky. it was an amazing red Orville by Gibson 335. It was amazing. But then uh, you'll see. Now, now the guy that works for me talked me out of it and bought it. Oh, so. no. Well, that's okay. He uses it. That's good. Awesome. Yeah. That's- Jamie, Jamie Kime, he uses it. And that's fine. Yeah, but then the irony is you can send out a brand new Friedman guitar. All boxed up and everything, and somehow it arrives screwed up. Something happened. Yeah, yeah. You know, all, all in all, we ship an awful lot of stuff, and all in all, I think we don't really have that many claims. Well, I mean, good. yeah, yeah occasional, I occasional claim um, here and there. You know, oh, I just thought of something. <sighs> I just thought of something I haven't shipped to someone. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, that speaking of a claim. Um, uh, yeah, surprisingly, it's, it doesn't happen that often, you know. Well, yeah, I'll tell you when it will happen is when someone puts a box and they put a very thin layer of bubble wrap, and then they put it in a bunch of peanuts, and the, and the and the amp is literally just tossing around in the peanuts in the yes. thing. That's the worst way to pack anything. Never do that, please. Exactly. Yeah. Never send peanuts, please. Yeah. Well, yeah, peanuts are pain, but also the fact that it's slamming around in the box—that's how it gets damaged. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I always said the best way to do it is you go buy yourself a large, and you have to do it at a packaging store, a large roll of bubble wrap. 
uh, yeah, the little bubble tiny wrap. bubble wraps, the big bubble bubble wrap. Big, right? Yeah, that's and right. then you wrap the amp all sides, two inches thick. That's exactly just thick, and then put it in a box where there's no extra room. Yeah, it fits pretty much perfectly. Or maybe you stuff a few things in just so it doesn't move. Close it up. I guarantee it'll get there. Yeah, that's right. That's the best nothing, way. To... Nothing will happen to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you don't have to go crazy. No, it's like Actually, a good thing. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I have to one one thing I have to bitch about. <laughs> don't ship it in a box four times the size of the amp either. Right. Uh, it, maybe it's safe and all that, but you realize that just costs you double because yeah. you not not only do you pay for weight, you pay for size at some yeah, at right. some point. Well, yeah. You know, the bigger it becomes, the the, the more. I mean, I, I literally have an amp around the corner here that it was like it was a Marshall head shipped in like a uh, huge, almost like a Marshall four twelve box, and I'm like looking oh, at it. That's gosh. just a head. Why is it in this box? <laughs> that's nuts. It must have come from Amazon, because that's how they pa <laughs> that's how they pack everything. <laughs> you, you get, Except you they don't put any packing material in. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, they'll just send you something like this big, and it's in a box like that big. Right. 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 But um, that's, that's crazy. Uh, we got a question from L. Scott Music. He says, uh, "Question: If amps like the new Fender Twin Deluxe solid state keep getting made, will they reduce demand on tubes to the point that tube manufacturing isn't viable?" I don't think so. No, I mean. For one thing, the reason that SoTech 5881 still exists is because the Russian military still uses vacuum tubes. So the bigger customer is not even what we do. So um, back when I first started building amps, I was using the Philips uh, 6L6s. And Philips' biggest, biggest buyer, their biggest, you know, uh, customer was the U.S. military. And even though pretty much all the, you know, American, at least, guitar man, amp manufacturers were buying those Phillips tubes, you know, Boogie, I think Fender was using them too. Even though everybody was using them, the audio market only made up a very small percentage of their sales. So the reason they quit making tubes was not because, um, they just decided to quit making tubes is because the military quit demanding them and because they lost that huge quantity there was no point in them making stuff from musical instruments anymore so the musical instrument business as big as we think it is isn't really enough to support tube manufacturing there's other customers like nowadays a lot of it's high-end audio and, and audiophile stuff like that so um, and besides, there will always be a demand for tube amps. So even though you know Fender and a lot of companies are cranking out a bunch of solid state stuff, there's still going to always be the guys that want the real sound, which is always going to be vacuum tubes. And as long as there's a demand, there will be tubes out there. Oh, let's hope so. Um, I, let's put it this way: I, I, I think if, if tubes ever go away, we're going to be dead. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I mean, completely done. No more. Period. None anywhere. We're dead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. And we won't give a shit. So that's right. We're <laughs> going to pretend we don't care anymore. 
Um, so you were talking about the Phillips tubes, Mike. Um, Blackstrap Blue says, hey, Mike, I have a 93 SLO 100 that's still sounding great. Is it true the SLO came with Phillips 7581s before the switch to 5881s? No. Okay. No, they, what happened, the, the original tubes were, um, were the Phillips 6L6s. And then when, when Phillips quit making them, um, I bought one last box of them, which I recently sold to a guy who, a picker guy who came through my shop. And uh, I was going to hold on to him, but, you know, he gave me a, a, an offer I couldn't refuse. So I sold the box. And he'll be selling them on eBay for probably four times what he paid me for them. But, you know, <laughs> more, more power to him. He's the one that's willing to pack them up and ship them for him four at a time. That's great. Right. Anyway, just as I was getting word, though, that, that there were going to be no more Phillips tubes, I got approached by um, a distributor of mine in Japan who had found out about this Russian tube, which turned out to be the Sovtec. And so he had gotten two of them, sent them to me as a sample, and let, let me test them. And I was blown away by the, how, how great they were, you know, how close they were actually to the Phillips tube sound-wise. Now, power-wise, they weren't quite there. The, the power went down a little bit because the original SLOs usually made about 110 watts. And with the Sovtec tubes, they make about 95 watts. So... Hmm. There was a tiny power drop, probably just because of the slight impedance mismatch. Never has been an issue. It's no big deal. And as a matter of fact, after the uh, first batch I got, all the ones I tested from there on, the amps were putting out about 100 to 105 watts. So it was just it was an oddity at the very beginning. However, I didn't know where to get these things. Nobody knew where they came from. You know, my guy Cozy in Japan was like, well, I just got these from a guy who brought them around and was showing us, you know, what might be available as a tube. Well, I finally found, I finally traced it back to Mike Matthews of uh, New Sensor. And he was at that point the only guy that could, that was bringing them into America. And, and, uh, and so, it was kind of tricky to get them. I mean, you'd had to kind of order them pretty far in advance and he would ship them out. And he was basically, I think, I think he was using a uh, friend of his garage somewhere in New York as his warehouse, because I did get a shipment from him once where they mixed up my order and they sent me this huge box full of uh, EL84s and they weren't mine. But when I called to send them back, they gave me this address of this, BMW garage in New York to send them back to. So I think I think he was just he was he was like the, he was that g clever guy that went to Russia, mm -hmm. and his wife's Russian by the way. So I think that was his connection. But he was this guy that figured out how to get these things out of the country and get them into the U.S., distribute them. And so I was I was probably one of the very first uh, first people or first manufacturers in the U.S. to use Sovtec tubes as my standard. Uh, power tube offering so and that happened when i was still in my shop in hollywood so that would have been 89 or something like that so ever since 1989 i've been using the subject okay um jonathan ellison asked there was a handful of slo amps made with kt 66s kt 66s yep. what was the uh, motivation or goal for those he asked 
Well, it was an option we offered. So same transformer set because the impedance match on a KT66 is the same as a 6L6 or a KT81. So it was kind of, there was this whole, well, I mean, it's still going on to this day, but this is when the whole drop tuning thing was really starting to come into vogue. And guys were just like, you know, tuning the guitars down to, you know, C or something like that or C sharp. And so they wanted like a lot of power in the low end. And so my sales rep at the time was really trying to like have something we could offer as like an option that would address this new drop tune thing. And so we came out with two things. One was the depth knob, which was at that time a mod, but also the idea of using these big power tubes that would really kick the output up. And so, you know, yes, on the scope they put out about 20 extra watts, you'll never hear 20 watts. I mean, it's not, it's just not noticeable, but you'll perceive it as headroom because you will hear the slight expansion of headroom. And so I think it was more of a gimmick that we had than a reality, but people liked them, you know, the, the heavy metal guys, you know, or the extreme metal guys thought that they did give their amp more balls in the low end. And they probably did to some extent, again, just because they probably had just a little bit more actual headroom before clip on the power section but as far as sheer volume i don't think they were any louder i just think they felt louder because they had this this kind of more you know percussive capability so yeah and and those tubes were actually pretty special those were some ones that groove tubes was somehow getting specially manufactured <laughs> somehow found somebody to make those tubes and they were really a good KT-66. KT-66s you get nowadays are nothing more than glorified. They're just a 6L6 in a big bottle. They don't really have the performance that those other ones did. But those uh, KT-66 HPs that we were getting from groove tubes, they they were noticeably, they did have noticeably more headroom. So hmm. we offered as long as we could and then they, those two became non-existent and so we quit offering Okay, cool. Um, here's an interesting question from Brent Harmon. Will Mike be doing any re amp repair mods or amp designs, or is he just going to be consultant, semi-retired at this point? Well, I'll, I will be spending most of my time amp-wise, you know, working with boutique. I've thought about maybe doing mods down the road, but quite honestly, I don't think I'm going to have the time for it. So um, maybe is all I can say. I mean, I haven't thrown away my oscilloscope and, you know, and I still have a, a stash of parts that I, I'm keeping. But um, to be honest with you, there's there's been about a million little projects of my own that I've put off for years because I've spent, you know, literally every waking hour running a business. and. Now that I'm sort of retired, I kind of want to get to some of my other projects and do some traveling because there's a lot of this world I have not seen yet that I'd like to. So it's not that I don't want to do repairs and mods. I just honestly don't think I'm going to have the time. But if I do decide to, you know, I'll certainly let the world know about it through, you know, Facebook or social media, or I'll call you guys up to talk and tell them, tell you to, Tell the world that I'm back in biz, but for now, it's time off. I need to get settled into my new town and settled in my new shop. And I've got a, a bunch of, like I say, a bunch of projects that have been on the back burner for the last 20 years. And 
it's time to blow the dust off and get some of those things get put some attention towards those yeah so some of those things are you're talking about getting them released through through boutique camps as soldano products yeah so exactly so so that's the thing my my time spent doing amp stuff will be will be focused and dedicated towards supporting my brand through boutique. Mm-hmm. Cool. So any other, anything else that you're thinking about coming down the line? We talked about uh, that. Well, I, I think that, I think there needs to be a combo. So I've, I've, I've toyed with some ideas on that. I haven't really discussed much of it with Avi yet. So, um, I've got some ideas that I'd like to maybe see happen, and I was thinking, wait until around Nam show, like sit down with them, you know, pitch some of these things and see see where see where the see where the wind takes them. Mm-hmm. Well, that would make sense to have a combo option, you know, even on the third, maybe the, even the thirty, you know. Yeah, something like that. Something where. You know, maybe for the guy who's just that clubbing musician who just needs something super portable that we can carry around and just go somewhere with, that we could find something that would fit, fill that niche. Mm-hmm. Um, SSV Plus asks, what should the bias be for KT66s on an SLO 100? Well, the way I set the bias, well, okay, the shortcut way is just is just take the pot and dime it for the highest voltage you can get because it's going to take pretty much all of the bias supply to get up to where they need to be. But the way that I bias an amp is I have a dummy load, I have a signal generator, I put a signal through the amp, 1,000 hertz signal, and I run the amp up and I look at the waveform and then I just you know adjust the bias till there's no zero crossing distortion at full power. And what I have found is on an SLO to get to that point with a KT66, you pretty much are all the way at the full travel of the trim pot. So if, if you don't have a scope and you don't have a dummy load and just want to put those tubes in there, just you know, just crank the thing up to its highest voltage and you should be good. In fact, at that point, you'll probably still be slightly under-biased, but it's fine. It works. Okay. Any comments on that, Dave? I see you smiling over there. No, 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 no. You know, it's uh, it's funny. It's like whenever you bring up the the you know the proper way to do it on the scope and everything, it's always interesting because because it's very subjective to the person's eye that's doing it. Oh, it is. Oh, it's extremely subjective. It's You're very right. subjective, and and like when you get it, and and you know what what's What's that straight wave? You know what? <laughs> oh, that's right. And how good are you going that at that point? Are you going, you know, into the front of the amp, and what effect? It's, you know, ideally you go right into the power amp, and then you could just see exactly, you know, with the with the proper amount of signal, and you could see exactly what what's going. But then you have to interpret, bring it up to clipping, pull it back just a little bit so it's not clipping, and then. Right. Right. You know, and, and then it's the presence up or down at zero, and then there's a, there's right. a lot of variables involved. It should be at zero, actually, technically. Yeah. Um, so well, the there's a lot of variables. So bottom amp, it's everything's at zero except the bass control is dying, and it's the clean channel, 
And what you do is you run the master wide open, and then you just bring enough signal to get the power amp up the clipping. Yeah. And luckily, on Silvano, the clean channel has enough clean headroom that yeah. will clip the power section before the preamp starts to Right, right. Yeah. 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 But a, a good rule of thumb might be you could probably set the current anywhere between 30 and 40 milliamps per tube if you're going to do it that way and probably be just fine wherever you like the sound of it. Right. That's right. I mean, uh, to be honest, that, I mean, I could say that for my amps too. You know, it's like, eh, set it between 30 to 40 and you figure out where you like it. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone likes it a little different too. Some people like it cold. Some people like it hot. Some people, uh. Yeah, it, yeah, and it depends on what you're looking for for tube life too. Yeah, because if you don't mind going through tubes quickly, go ahead and you know crank it up on the hot side because it will sound nice and squishy. Yeah, it won't last as long. So. Or or how loud are you playing? That's another question. So that's a good, yeah, like, that's another. Thing it's too. like you can you can get a lot more current out of the tube if you're playing at low volumes all the time. That's right. Exactly. And, and it'll sound nice and juicy down low, but you crank it up, it'll sound like mush. Yeah, that's so, right. So and someone that plays really loud all the time, I would venture to say cooler. Yeah, yeah. that's right because you'll get the most headroom. Out more of definition, it. you know. Yeah. So, this is a touchy subject. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's good to know. I mean, you know, especially if people yeah. are doing it themselves. Yeah, like, like, I, like I know, for instance, like I know, for instance, like Steve Stevens is my customer and client and, and stuff, and I know that he, you know, he always plays things as loud as they can go. Pretty much, you know. <laughs> Sounds like Steve. And yeah. for years, I've always biased his stuff, his Marshalls and things, you know, at about 30 milli, milliamps a tube. Right. Because he's playing it so loud that it makes sense. Yeah. It, it's just, it doesn't turn to mush when it's on 10 then. It has more definition and more. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. That, that's because you're running it on 10. Yeah. Because for anyone who doesn't know, the bias goes up as you drive the amp. So it, it's it, it's variable. It jumps. So like if you if you were to watch the current of the tube as you're driving it harder, it goes higher. So <laughs> so should you bias the amp when it's you're not cooking it when it's at full power? That's right. Yeah. So you know you bias it really hot at low volumes. That's that's fine because it's never going that high. Right. But if you if you if you have that bias and then crank it, then it's really going high. The swing is huge. Interesting. And you melt your tubes. Yeah, meltdown. Yeah, for maximum. You, you know the old story of Eddie melting tubes, right? <laughs> well, that partially was because tubes weren't matched, and he didn't match them, and he also turned the pot inside all the way up. <laughs> oh, the trim pot. Yeah. Yeah, and then they used to blow, you know, blow the tubes because they're melted. Blow the tube, then blows the output transformer. Right, and they overheated the output transformer. It just like melted down the amp. And then I was actually told. I remember Rudy Laren told me this. Who was his old tech? He goes, then after like the first world tour, Jose started matching tubes for them to use because they would just literally. One tube would turn red. They just toss another tube in. Right, right. Don't match tubes. Yeah, just yeah. one could be thirty at thirty mils, and one could be at sixty mils, and right. there's no matching anything. Yeah, 
and 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 once they started matching tubes, they had way less problems, and and because they were all you know. Oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a funny story. Yeah, I I often wondered about that. You know, I wondered how how actually you know technical they really got on that stuff. Oh, no, no, no. They just literally had a box of tubes. <laughs> and they shipped one off. melted down red. They took that one out and stuck another one in. Oh, that's funny. changing the rest of them. That is funny. Or checking anything. <laughs> I like it. So eventually, match tubes were done, and you know they had better performance and better luck with that. I was gonna say the, the variance in sound had to be pretty pretty sweeping, you know. You know the funny thing is that mismatching tubes isn't as crazy as you think. It's it's oh. it's not. I mean, it's some people say they like it better. <laughs> Well, and also when you really boil it down, the fact is you, it's, it's almost impossible to wind an output transformer with a perfectly balanced primary. I mean, you, yeah. can get the, you can get the number of turns of wire the same, which is what you're supposed to do. But, you know, the ones around the middle are going to be shorter than the ones on the end. And, of course, they do interleave to try to correct for that. But if you measure, like, the DC resistance on an output transformer, even the best transformers, including our DMs, it's slightly different DC resistance between the two winding or the two sides of the winding because it's almost impossible to get the same amount of wire in both of them since you're wrapping them around uh, a bobbin. So, so one could argue that the slight DC resistance value, even if the tubes are perfectly matched, the transformer is going to skew that a little bit because it's not balanced uh, for DC current. So. Uh, nor is the phase inverter balanced, really. Yeah, and yeah, so. the phase not balanced either. So, so there's a lot of variables there that that kind of make the whole um, idea of this perfectly symmetrical output somewhat of a myth. And the real reason, like Dave pointed out earlier, about matching tubes is more just so that they're all biased equally, so that they all are pulling the same current. That's really the key. It's not so much for any other reason. At least that's my sense on it. You're welcome. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, so I know that we uh, we've exceeded the 90 minutes that Mike, you and I talked about earlier. We're almost approaching two hours. Um, so, <laughs> well, so, that happened last time, didn't it? It did. It it's, did. Like, it's like, wow, two hours gone. Bam. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we had another question, and we'll we'll wrap up soon. Um, uh, we had another question from a fellow follower, Darren Lemire. He said, "I have a question. I don't think it was brought up in the last show. Does Clapton still have his Saldano, and how uh, how did he get his?" Okay, he does not have them. He actually got sold at auction. I think it's, it's probably been about ten years ago now. So every year. Uh, for quite a few years, and I don't know if he still does it, but Clapton would would sell some of his gear to to raise money for his rehab center he has in Antigua. And so uh, his SLO rig, he had two heads, two Marshall cabs, and a Pete Cornish rack effects system and switcher and stuff. That whole package sold for $33,000 at Sotheby's about 10 years ago. So to answer the question, no, he does not still have his SLOs. And the way he got them is he got them directly from me. It was really 
if, if we've got a few seconds for a funny story, I'll tell you the story. And that is, um, I, I had sold Mark Knopfler a pair of SLOs uh, pretty early on. He got some fairly low serial numbers, I think down in deep, maybe. Yeah, it might have been early, early, early amps. Anyway, might have been in the 20s, but it was pretty early. So that year, um, Mark put together a, a, a tour to do to raise money for farm aid. And so 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 Knopfler went out on tour and in that band, Clapton was the quote unquote rhythm guitar player. He's like, yeah, so second guitar was Eric Clapton, Mark's up front. And so the idea they had was that when Eric went on tour later that year, Mark would go out on tour as Eric's, you know, second guitar player. And they would, you know, switch it up. So apparently they must have started rehearsals because I get this phone call at my shop, my little shop in Hollywood, and it's this guy with this heavy, you know, English accent, and his name's Lee Dixon. He's Eric's guitar tech. He introduces himself as Eric's guitar tech. And and he's like, okay, whatever it is that Mark has, Eric wants that amp because he says, we're in rehearsals right now down here in Texas. I think they're in Texas. And he's killing us. <laughs> Mark's killing us with his tone. Mm. And Eric wants what Mark's got. So, of course, I, at that point, had to pinch myself to realize this. I wasn't dreaming because Clapton was, was and is still one of my biggest guitar heroes. And so I was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I'm building it for Eric Clapton. And so um, after I got over the shock of the whole thing, you know, I got down to business with Lee and I told him, I said, well, that I'm thrilled and honored to be doing this. However, I've got no parts right now, so uh, you're gonna have to. Eric's gonna have to wait, but he's gonna be first on the list when I finally get parts in the build. So in the meantime, if Mark could be kind enough to loan him one of his amps, because Mark had two of them, uh, to get the tour started, I'll I'll ship them to you on in route. You know, while in progress of the tour. And so, man, I was just like on pins and needles trying to get all, I, I think I was waiting on, I think I was waiting on transformers or it might've been circuit boards. But anyway, there was something I didn't have to build the amps. So of course, the minute the parts show up, I build two amps. I'm like just giddy with excitement, uh, ship them off to Clapton. And later when that same tour came through uh, LA, he invited me down to see them at uh, Irvine Meadows and it was just, just the most awesome, one of the most awesome days of my life. I got to meet Eric Clapton, sit on a couch and talk to him for like five minutes. And I was just like, whoa, this is so much fun. So, yeah. <laughs> That's and part awesome. of our deal was that, um, so, you know, and, and like everybody, I, I never gave amps away to anyone. So like everybody, you know, Clapton, of course, had to pay for them. And in my deal I did with him, part of the deal was I had him – trading one of his signature strats that he was having Bender build at the time and signed for me. So that that's still one of my little guitar treasures I have in my collection is my signed Eric Clapton uh, signature strat caster. Uh, that's great. All in all, it was a great day for me. Though. I was so excited. Yeah, that's uh, one of those pinch me moments. Yes, definitely, definitely. And he's such a nice guy. I mean, here I was sitting there backstage at Irvine, which, you know, it's like, the you know the 
hubbub for you know the whole LA music scene, right? So every A and R person's there, every industry person's there. This room is so full of people you can't even walk through it. And there were people there way, way, way more important than I was. And yet he actually took the time to like, you know, he's like just kind of like, okay, people, I need to talk to this guy for a few minutes. So leave me alone. And he actually, like I say, took me outside. We sat down on a couch and we actually had a little conversation. And he asked me you know, how I got into amps and blah, blah, blah. And it was, it was really something. He was a very, he was a very uh, kind-hearted and a very humble guy. Really cool. I really enjoyed meeting him. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Waiting for an alibi. Ask. Can you talk about Gary Moore and his use of the SLO? Oh, awesome! That's all I can say about that. I mean, God, Gary can make those amps sound so amazing. And quite honestly, I never ever met him or spoke to him. Um, he actually bought his amps from a music store in England, I guess, because he, he didn't even uh, didn't even call us up to you know get the direct artist deal or anything. He just, I guess, heard them one day, thought he thought they were cool, and bought a pair. Uh, later, I did get contacted by his uh, guitar tech, and we built him a little 50 watt SLO combo. He wanted to, he wanted something smaller for some for you know, studio use or for smaller gigs. And so at the time we had not yet built like the reverb sonic that hadn't happened yet so i didn't really have a combo so i custom built a cabinet built a custom built little amp and it was basically a 50 watt slo 212 combo and so that was about the closest i ever did anything direct and again i did that all through his guitar deck so i still never had the pleasure or the, the uh honor of meeting Mr. Door, but boy, he could sure make he could sure make an SLO sing. That that yeah. video uh, live, uh, Montro live, you know, ninety one or whatever it is, it's just incredible. Yeah, you know, yeah. another guy who makes. Sorry, Dave, what were you going to say? No, no, no. I agree. I was just agreeing. Um, yeah, another guy who really makes your amp sing is Warren Haynes. Oh my God, yes, he's been. He's been one of the most amazing ambassadors of Soldano there ever was. And again, one of the nicest guys I've ever met in this business. Just such, such a sweetheart. Really love Warren. He's great. And he does make those amps sound good. Yeah, yeah. he's he's a fantastic player. And like he is. Said, yeah. Um, modern Vintage, thanks for the uh, super chat. Mike and Dave, are there any modern high-gain amps beside each other's that you like that's the first question mm -hmm. um i have to be honest i haven't really tried anybody else's stuff so i can't tell you that uh you know i, I have my amp and i play this all the time and i you know i never go to music stores so i honestly am a little out of the loop and i can't tell you what's out there that I mean, I'm sure there's stuff that would blow me away if I tried it, but I haven't had a chance to or haven't gotten around to it. Mm -hmm. Dave, Dave, how about you? Uh, <clears throat> you know, there's there's all sorts of amps I've liked over the years. There's been various Fryette amps I've liked over the years that were cool. There's, you know, uh, various uh, uh, diesel amps over the years that were cool. Um, high gain amps. 
I mean, I've heard some Fortin stuff that's cool. Uh, um, hmm. Oh, uh, KSR. KSR? They may hate Jeff. He makes a great amp also. Um, the funny thing is there's less and less of them anymore. Um, so, I mean, I think the boutique market has sort of changed a bit over time. And uh, kind of there's a lot less smaller builders out there than there used to be. And uh, it's a hard market to uh, compete in these days. It is. It is. So uh, I'm trying to think what else I'm forgetting. But, um, you know, I mean, I think I think I think even some of the, you know, the more commercial stuff is cool. Like some of the some of the EVH Fender stuff is cool. Yeah, I've actually heard good things about those amps. I have yeah, I mean, some of some of the, um, you know, the original PV uh, fifty one fifty. It had a thing too. Uh, you know, so um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's uh, I don't know. It's just uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Okay, cool. And then the second question was, can Dave give us any more info? About no. <laughs> no more info about the new amp. That's it. Um, so uh, okay, I'll a little info. It's it's in the fifty watt range. Ooh, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, Internet Monk Money says, did anything Jet City get brought up this session? No, we we talked about Jet City a lot last time. I yeah. think so. Go back and watch the first first uh yeah show. yeah there's stuff there about it there yeah 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 we talked about that um any thoughts on victory amps i mean they're cool oh actually you know that you know wait that you know martin kid uh is a friend and he's uh he's a great great guy and uh, i think they make some cool sounding amps yeah i forgot about victory so here's a quick <laughs> mike did selling the slo to eddie on valentine's day ruin your valentine's date <laughs> you know what i actually was still i mean we got kind of a late start but um i will tell you we still had a pretty nice evening at, at uh at uh, chateau Mambo. so no it did not ruin my evening at all in fact it actually made me pretty happy that i was like hanging out with eddie van halen and, and that was actually that was the beginning of our our business relationship it was pretty darn neat yeah i can cool. imagine that's cool uh, let's see. A lot of questions are flowing in here, so let's we'll take a few more questions and then we're going to wrap up, guys. I got a flight early in the morning actually to go to Baltimore. Oh boy! Yeah, till Sunday. Yay. Um, let's see. Uh, what are your thoughts on Alessandro amps using all the octal preamp tubes? Oh my God. Good luck finding ones that work. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, get good uh, SJ7s or whatever, SN7s or whatever those things are. My, yeah. my friend uh, George Metropolis designed the B15 uh, hand-wired reissue that they did a while back uh, using um, those tubes, and it was a, a, a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah, really there's there's no, I mean, gosh, they must all be just NOS tubes at this point. I mean, I don't think any is making NOS that. and they're, they're crackly and noisy and hissy and it, microphonic. <laughs> it, yeah, my hat's off to him. If he can do it, boy, I, you know, I, 
I'll give kudos for his his uh, cape, you know, for, for trying. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Uh, it's like trying to use EF eighty sixes these days, or trying to use some other obscure yeah. tube Gibson used or something, which is it's good luck. Yeah, it really is. It's it's and and it's getting harder and harder to find those little stashes of those old tubes that are any good anymore, too. I mean, a lot of them, you know, they they've suffered from shelf life. So yeah, good luck. Um. Sean Zimmerman, thoughts on matched phase inverter match triads? Triodes. Triodes, yeah. <laughs> well, um, the thing is, is nothing's matched. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's nothing you can really do. You know, it's like you could go through a lot of tubes and try to, you know, get both sides that test the same, but. Really, it's pretty arbitrary. Um, well, you need the tubes, you need the phase inverter, and you need the output transformer all to be a perfect match. Exactly. It's exactly. just not going to happen. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so much tolerance that stacks up. I mean, you've got your two plate resistors, and even those are somewhat of a random value that we select. I mean, it's, it's, it's what works and gets you the closest, but it's pretty hard to get an absolutely – perfectly balanced output from a conventional long tail phase inverter. I mean, you could probably, if you went to a different type of phase inverter where you put, uh, you put equal resistors in the plate and the cathode circuit on just one half of the tube, then you run those into a couple of, you know, other tubes that you use to boost that signal, kind of like doing an SVT. You could probably then trim that to make it balanced, but it's kind of a, it's sort of pointless. It, it, you're, it's 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 just diminishing returns, really. Mm -hmm. uh, Nash Beach, Mike, will you or Dave, will you make a KT eighty eight based amp? Could be fun. Uh, maybe. Um, I mean, you can put KT eighty eights in some of my amps now if you'd really like to. Um, yeah, uh, the question is which KT88. <laughs> there's again, there's, several, really there's several of them on the market now, and it's just like, is it the is it Subtech one or is it the JJ one or is it the one that's sort of a KT88, sort of 6550 from Subtech? And there's yeah. that's the thing; they seem to be just like glorified 6550s at this point. Well, yeah, there, there's one in particular that I've used a couple times that uh, Marty at ARS here has that um, yeah, is a Sovtec-based, it's a Russian-based tube. It's extreme, it looks like a KT-88, so it's got the fluted sort of bottle, mm -hmm. but it's a little smaller, and it's extremely thick glass. Like, I, I mean, I was looking at the tube going, wow, looks like if you smash this against the table, it wouldn't break. You know, and, uh, um, uh, that one was pretty cool. Now, which yeah. one that is, I'm not sure. <laughs> he calls it a KT88 slash 6550. So it, this, which one is it? I'm not sure. Yeah. It'd be an interesting thing to build, though. I mean, you could build a neat little 80-watt amp that just had two tubes in it and call it done, you know. Mm -hmm. It'd be fun. Something to mess with. So I have a question, and this reminds me of uh, Michael Nielsen 
big hairy guitars. So he did a video because he's a big fan of your XED8 preamp. Um, oh. And uh, one I modded. The one you modded. <laughs> exactly. Just the middle channel. Just the middle <laughs> channel. So I was curious about, and we'll we'll leave this at the, as the last question. So it's my question. <laughs> so, right. uh, but. Uh, but I'm curious, in terms of the voicing, when you were voicing that preamp, what were your thoughts on channel one, channel two, and channel three? Because apparently channel two has a, kind of a weird thing going for it. So I was just curious. So so when I did the X88, I basically just wanted to build an SLO, but build it in a preamp, but also have an, a clean channel. So. The overdrive channel in an X88 is is exactly the SLO's overdrive channel. But then I now have the option of having a slightly crunchier crunch channel and a slightly cleaner clean since I didn't have to have the same thing doing both like I do in an SLO. Mm -hmm. So the clean channel in an in an X88 is basically the clean, it's it's an SLO when the clean crunch switch is in the clean mode to reduce the gain, but it's also got a slightly different tone stack. So um, it does not use a cathode follower after the tone controls like the crunch and overdrive channels do. So it's a little bit, for a lack of a better term, it's a little more Fender-esque, but it's not twin like it doesn't have like the huge cat bypass capacitor on the cap or anything to get that big you know twin sound it's more of you know it's maybe more actually more realistically it's more like maybe the clean of a high watt or something game wise it's real low gain anyway and then the crunch channel is essentially the same as the crunch it's the same as the normal channel in slo with the crunch switch on except since it was a, since I was able to make it a dedicated crunch channel, I boosted the gain slightly before the last stage. So just before it goes into stage before the the cathode follower got a kind of bit darker and a little bit crunchier than the crunch channel in an SLO. Mm -hmm. And that way I was able to get a nice, pretty much even you can the, the channel's kind of can kind of uh, overlap into each other. In other words, you can you can get enough crunch out of the clean channel that that's about where the crunch channel starts up, and then you can if you dime the crunch channel, it's about where the overdrive channel starts up. So I was just kind of trying to spread the gain out over the most range possible, so you could get all those different sounds. I see. I see. So what was the mod that you did, Dave, on the channel? Yeah, so what did you do, Dave? Uh, well, I mean, you know, essentially that channel is uh, kind of a, a modified 800-ish sort of your stock thing uh, is a little more, you know, architecturally speaking, uh, a little bit more like an 800 gain-wise. A little more, actually. Uh, more gain. It has more gain. Uh, it's more, it's similar. To, well, it's not exactly. I mean, I just did a few things, so... The voltage divider after the second stage changed a bit. The, uh, the cathode on the second stage went up with a cap across it. 
yeah. But then I reduced the gain at the 500k gain pot a little bit there. So okay. you had more gain after, and uh, uh, just voiced it a little. It was just a little more. It actually is a really good voicing to uh, when you when you're switching from that to the lead channel. It's it's, it's uh, a nice transition. It's a nice transition. It has the more gain because people thought sometimes that that channel was a little dull and a little floppy, sort of for them. And they oh. kind of wanted it a little, a little tighter, a little more like the lead channel, but less game. Okay, cool. So, I like it. So uh, it's nothing that crazy, you know. Just a, just a, just some variances, same architecture, basically. Um, came and you good. have that amp, Mark? What's that? And you have that amp? No, no, no. That's Michael Nielsen. Uh, oh, Michael. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Michael Nielsen and uh, and two other guys I did that for too. After oh. that video. Oh really? <laughs> You're yeah. like I want that. That's funny. Well, because I remember a long time ago, and this is no slight on what your Crunch channel was, Mike, by any means. I remember a long time ago there was a lot of people that well said I wish the Crunch was just a little more of this and that. And this goes way 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 back back in the night. Yeah, back in the rack days. Way yeah. way back in the rack days, and um, and. The first person I ever knew to modify the second channel on was was Bruce Eggner. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, he he modified an, uh, one for Randy Jacobs, just the middle channel. Okay, and, gotcha. Uh, that, that's where the first idea came from, and that's where that's where the idea for his preamp came from. <laughs> Although it wasn't, you know, wasn't any direct uh, clone. <laughs> <laughs> No, Bruce didn't do that. So yeah, uh, some other people. But uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's where that idea came from. So it goes back a long way. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's just changing a few values to make it what people wanted, and and that's sure. it. It's not really. Yeah, well, there was there, no, there was different no, take on. No change to the lead channel at all. I know that. So. No, no change to the lead channel. No change to the clean channel. Yeah. Just. Uh, Although people used to also with the clean channels generally on those with back in the rack days, they a lot of times they would even EQ it more with like an audio arts EQ. Like that was a big Landau thing. Oh, uh, they, right. would, they would slightly tweak it to get that really sparkly thing that was going on then because yes. it really wouldn't do the super sparkly thing on that clean channel. Cause like you said, it's a little more high wattie. Yeah. Uh, sort of. Um, and uh, they would just kind of, filter it with the eq yeah and then kick that into their chorus and stuff and they got that total yeah they got that 80s you know 80 sound yeah 80s yeah so cool well mike i want to thank you for coming back on for part two thanks well, well oh thanks for having me i really really enjoyed it yeah awesome man um i assume we'll be at nam yes we'll see yep. you at nam you will you guys look out for the uh Soldano products coming from Boutique Amps Distribution. Uh, like Dave said, should be before or at NAM. They'll be available. Uh, check out Sweetwater.com again. Um, our next guest is, uh, I believe, let me check. I believe it's actually uh, Chris Van Tassel from J Rocket Audio Pedals. Um, that's on November 22nd. If that works for you, Dave. Um, sure. All right. 22nd. 22nd. Wait. 22nd. 
Uh, I, that might not work. Um, All right. Wait, I'll tell you right now. Hang on. Okay. That will, well, it could possibly work depending on my internet. I'll be in Detroit. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, in, I'm in Detroit from the 19th to the 25th. Ah, uh, okay. Well, if you if you can't do it, we can reschedule for another day. So. I mean, I, I potentially could. Okay. Friday night, though, way out of town. Mm. In Detroit, <laughs> yeah. I could, well, I mean, he, uh, he actually, Chris said he was available actually the following Friday or that, you know, that next Friday. After Thanksgiving? Like, yeah, so we could do it then also. So. Oh, I could do that. I mean, that works for me. Okay. All right. Sketch me on the air, people. Isn't this exciting? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, hang on as we hang up. Everybody, thanks for watching. Oh, something broke. Yeah, uh, subscribe. Hit subscribe, please. Thumbs up, and we really appreciate it. Thanks again, Mike. Talk to you guys. Thank soon. you. It was really fun.